Hey guys, you're listening to the JK Experience, where we train leaders to live a life of exceptional impact, influence, and faith. Hey guys, I'm so excited to have Mark Moyer, a good friend of mine that I uh, recently met, and uh, you're going to have him on the podcast today. So, uh, But it is so good. I know you're like, first of all, you're super busy with life, with all this coaching that you're doing, and you made some time to be on the podcast today. So I really appreciate you doing that, brother. Uh, anytime. Almost anytime. Almost anytime. Sometimes. That's correct, right? Except right, for no, when you have <laughs> a million other things going on, man. Hey, of listen, I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to you today because, um, you know, after reading your book, which is an awesome book, and for anybody that's out there looking for a great read, Win Again, uh, win, win Again. Um, I want to talk about, well, first of all, what was the inspiration behind it? Because uh, I, I think, you know, it's a book that I have never seen written, and I wish I would have had this about 20 years ago, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I've heard that a few times, and, and thank you. I appreciate that. So short version is that I was working with a retired hockey player. And uh, I helped him go from him not figuring out really what he wanted to do and what he was doing. Uh, and then within five weeks, we went from sort of him being pretty depressed, being on the couch and not having an idea to actually starting a job as if uh, he was working on a trading desk and he, because he'd been doing some day trading. And this is a guy who was probably in his early 40s, I would say. And uh, he wrote me a note and he said, Mark, you know, you've completely changed my life and my family's life and I'm forever indebted. Like, wow, you know, I don't usually hear those words from some of the executives I was working with. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, you really need to focus on athletes. We just don't get the help at all when we leave the sport. Yeah. And I, I kind of was, did one of those like, wait, what? And so the more I spoke to athletes, the more I'd hear stories that whether it was the NFL, Major League Baseball, the U.S., uh, you know, the Olympians the and Paralympians, the NCAA, they you know, they love the fact that you're playing a sport for them. Mm -hmm. But once you leave, you leave and, you know, good luck kind of thing. And they, they try their best and they sort of check some boxes, but they don't offer the true guidance. Like every, every athlete is coachable. Mm -hmm. Every athlete is coachable. Yeah. All they need is the, the ingredients. You just say, look, if you do this, you do this, you do this, you will see the results. Yes, coach. You got it, coach. Yeah. And so I, I went onto Amazon and I was like, all right, well, let me see who's written transition and helping them. And I did all these different, didn't find a single book. I found one young lady wrote a book about a booklet, 40 pages about how she struggled with some other things when she left playing back college basketball and her struggles, but there wasn't any advice in there other than, you know, don't get bulimia or something. I don't know. And so I was like, I was stunned. And so I said, well, it should be at least one book like that. Yeah. So that's what got me started on, on writing it. And it's, uh, I decided to make it. I tell people it's my $10,000 coaching program in a 20-hour book. It's 19 bucks, 18 bucks, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. and, but it's everything to go from not having a clue what you want to do when you leave your sport to starting a new job or starting a new business and negotiating an offer and everything in between. So it's um, I felt like I had to fill that gap. And it's uh, look, I'm a huge sports fan, but I'm also a big fan of helping people go to that next level. So I combined the two. Yeah, it's such a great playbook. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about it is how you really broke it down, you know, from the very beginning of it, what you look like, what you should be looking for in a, in a category, just like something like outside of sports. What do you, what are you passionate about? One thing that you said in that book that I really loved was, was the fact that you just don't take what they throw at you. Like go find something you enjoy that you love doing. And as an athlete, that's really one of the hardest things is to find out, well, 
after the game is over, what do I love? Because the game was so much of what my passion was. Um, I'm curious to know, like, as you were writing it, was there anything that you were just discovering either more about athletes or what was it that came out of the book that you were maybe a little bit surprised with uh, when it was done? Um, I think what, what caught me off guard was the, um, the lack of trust that athletes had for other people. Mm-hmm. I I was used to dealing with people in the financial sector and so forth, and they weren't they weren't necessarily hit on all the time by sort of predators, right, or nefarious people. Yeah. And I I was kind of caught off guard by how tough it was to get into the good graces of an athlete because they're so used to having to deflect. All these people are clearly after their money, and uh, but once you get in with an athlete and they get comfortable with you, it's a different story because they understand that you're, you know, ideally anyway, you're really there to help them to that next level and not there to try to help figure out a way to bleed their uh, bank account. But um, that was, that was one thing. And then the other thing was just simply, uh, again, I was stunned at how little assistance they really not just got, but how hard they had to try to get it. Um, They really, there wasn't, I just figured every football player would have somebody to help them sort of hold their hand through the process and and walk them through it. And it wasn't like that at all. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of help as you're playing the sport. You know, you have an agent, yeah. you have agents that are there yeah. as your beckoning call. They provide a lot of support around you. Uh, you have a ton of people, of course, obviously from your day to day operations as as you're branding yourself. But you're right. Just as soon as the game is over, that jersey comes off. It's like everybody kind of disappears. And you're left with this, like, okay, this void, like, what are we supposed to do? Now, you've been an executive coach for over 25 years, and then you transitioned into more of uh, coaching uh, professional athletes. I'm curious to know for you, from you is, obviously, there's some similarities between executives, high high executive um, uh, CEOs and professional athletes. What have you seen was the difference? Like, what was the thing where you're like, okay, I really enjoy professionals because of this reason? Uh, the biggest difference is that athletes are, I think, far more coachable mm-hmm. and manageable and so forth. And they are, again, they're used to, from an early age, taking direction from somebody, quote, more superior. And so they're used to um, following advice or following the the drills, the this or that, that will improve their results. And I think sometimes with some of the more, uh, we'll say, higher-powered execs and so forth, they're kind of used to saying, no, that doesn't sound right. Or no, you know, cause there's, they're always, they like to think they're always the smartest person in the bunch. Yeah. Um, and so it, that was the big difference is that an athlete, um, they'll acknowledge and they'll, I mean, I'll say, I'll say to you, Josh, I, I, I promise you, I can learn from you on how to throw a curveball. Definitely. Right. And then I promise you, I can teach you how to be a better networker, better interviewer, better negotiator of offers, that sort of thing. And there's that acknowledgement. Um, but sometimes with the executives, that doesn't exist. So as you were, let's, let's kind of backtrack because we just kind of flippantly went over your 25 years of uh, executive coaching. What? How did I started you... when I was six years old. Right, anyway, exactly. Sorry, go ahead. Exactly. And you just started growing the beard last year. I get it. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you get into that? Was that a passion of yours as, uh, as you found as you're getting older? That's a great question. So, um, I actually, most of my career, I mean, pretty much, uh, you know, sort of 23, 24 on, I was executive recruiter, a headhunter in the okay. financial space in New York. And I was never really overwhelmed with recruiters in general. I just didn't think that they were 
either necessarily out for the best interest of the individual. And it was all about generating fees. And I get it. I, I understand that. But I was I was more than that. And I wanted to be more directly involved in helping the individual. So I, I continued to doing you know executive search, but I, I shifted much more of my time and resources into being more of a career coach, a business coach, an executive coach, because I love the idea that I could help you really get to that next step and, and uh, grow, whether it's your business, your career and so forth, and have a direct impact on that. So I, um, you know, I really shifted all those years ago towards more towards the, the coaching, the individual side and, and or group coaching, but not necessarily for the sake of finding your new job in an, you know, for the sake of that client. Mm-hmm. What, what did you do? What, what was it that helped you become a great coach? The ability to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, a good coach is good at listening to and asking the right questions and pulling the right information from people and really trying to understand them and what they really want going forward and, and sort of pulling from them what's going to make them succeed in their own minds. I mean, I much, um, I'm very passionate about the idea that we all deserve to wake up every morning fired up to do what we do super excited. I mean, wake yeah. up at whatever it is. You probably wake up at like 3am or whatever it is, but <laughs> me, I'm, I'm more maybe seven or eight, but the point being that we should all be doing stuff that we're passionate about. And yeah. it doesn't matter, you know, the younger people, the 23 year olds are out of school. They'll say, Oh, but that's impossible. I've got to work hard, pay my dues. And yeah, but you can do that in something you love to do. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be doing it in a crappy job. And I feel that far too many people settle and they settle because as I said earlier, they're, they're sort of swinging at the pitch that's being thrown at them. Yeah. And you don't need to do that. And uh, I'm all about my big mantra is being proactive, not reactive. I mean, everything I do is, is with that in mind. So is, it was the younger version of Mark always this way, or was there a shift in, in who you are now? Uh, um, maybe. No, there was a absolute shift. I, I think that um, when I was... I mean, when I graduated college, it was it was quite a while ago. Um, and the, in 1986 and 87, 87, the stock crash happened, and none of the I was supposed to be in banking and that sort of thing. Not, nobody was hiring back then. Yeah. And you know, suddenly now I I tell people all the time my one of my first jobs out of school was working at a very very high end Italian restaurant in Huntington Beach, California. Um, it's I don't know if you've heard of it before. It's called the Olive Garden. <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> I might, I might've heard, I might've even eaten there a couple of times <laughs> and, you know, breadsticks, soup and salad yeah. for 4.95 back yeah. then. And, uh, you know, I, um, but look, I loved being a waiter. I loved, you know, I worked at a sporting goods store and then uh-huh. I came back to New York city looking for a, a job. And here I was a Colgate university graduate, you know, good school, good, this good economics major, et cetera. And whew, man, it was slim pickings out there. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, um, I actually ended up selling photocopiers, copiers, copy machines door to door here in Manhattan for a year. And if you want to, I mean, I thought I was pretty good at accepting rejection. Uh, that one, that really uh, tossed me for a loop, but then I completely stumbled. And I tell this to people all the time when I coach them, I say, look, so many people I know are in jobs, in positions, in things that they're doing now that they never imagined they never anticipated, never thought of. You don't need to, Oh, I'm going to be a finalist or I'm going to be a whatever someday. Bullshit. It's all about figuring out what you love to do, the core elements of what you love to do. And then starting just to have conversations with people. And it's amazing what, what, what comes undone. You know, I, a lot of the athletes I work with, I say, listen, 
I don't necessarily need a list of companies you'd love to work for because you're going to find that as you start speak, speaking to a few people, there's going to be a, a whole bunch of new names on that list that you've never heard of today. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time. Uh, and uh, I'm pretty confident, Josh K, that eight years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, you weren't, there's no way you were thinking that Kingsman was happening and yeah. you were going to be having a podcast and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. here you are. And it's it's where you've been it's where you've guided yourself yeah. to. So absolutely. I uh, think speaking mm-hmm. of stuff that you love to do is you have an amazing, uh, when again, Academy that you have created. Uh, and I absolutely love what's inside of that. You also have the club room, uh, which I'd love you to talk about that. Um, you know, this is, this came, this was an idea, but the thing that I think is so important that you've been able to do is you've, been, you've taken an idea and you've actually taken action on it. Right. And, and that's when you start living in your purpose and you start living in that uh, excitement in your life. So please tell, tell our uh, audience a little bit more about both of the Winnegan Academy and the club room. So the Academy was born out of the concept that um, I felt that I needed to create something, a home for athletes, retired and current, to come to and learn a lot of the stuff that they didn't have a chance to pick up and learn as an athlete but also to be part of a community, be part of a locker room again, to have that camaraderie again. Mm-hmm. Most athletes, when you ask them, what do they miss the most? They miss the team. They miss the being around the other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they, when they retire, they're at home, they're on a couch, and they're like, well, what am I going to do now? My teammates are not around me. The stadium is not cheering for me anymore. I don't have my daily routine where I wake up every morning at a certain time and I eat this breakfast and, I, you know, I go to the team room and I work out and I – all that's gone. And so I wanted to create an environment that people could come to learn about things like financial literacy, how much insurance they should have, how to network, how to be on LinkedIn, how to interview, how to negotiate an offer, how to follow up with people, what to say to people, all these different things that they maybe aren't getting otherwise. Mm -hmm. But also as I was doing all this, I was trying to figure out what's the missing ingredient that is going to compel people to want to hang out with me in the Academy. And uh, several months ago, I ran across this software program that blew me away because it's it allows people to come together and actually network and actually talk to each other and have conversations, go table to table, person to, and at your own speed, at your own whim. Right? And yeah. so if seated with people that are interesting, I talk to them. But you know what? I can now see that Bob or or Sue or whatever at table nine, I can go talk to them like I'm at a live event again. And that's the one thing that I think we miss so much, especially nowadays with the pandemic, that we miss that human connection. Yeah. And the club room was was created to create that human connection again. And so what I'll do with these events that I host is um, I'll bring in experts like yourself, of course, to talk about a variety of topics that can help educate I don't necessarily want to ask you about good old days with the Rockies and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about what you're doing now and how you're making a positive impact on people going forward. And I want other athletes and other non-athletes to hear about that and to run with that experience. But then at the same time, also have these events where they can meet and chat with each other beforehand and after and afterwards, because as we've already seen, it's incredible how not just that the, how interesting people are when you have a conversation with them, but also the breadth and depth of their networks. And yeah. if you just say to them, hey, listen, I, I really would love to meet a fill in the blank. Invariably, somebody knows somebody like that. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the powerful things that I've noticed since being on your platform is the connections and the ability to really uh, connect people with the right people, right? And not just mm. and not just somebody that might help them out, but really distinctively helping them with really good quality people. So I absolutely, once again, love your platform. I'm curious to know, you know, once again, you've been in this space for a while now is what are you seeing is changing in athletes now? You know, the game is constantly changing, whether it's football or, or baseball or, or basketball professionally. What do you see in the agents? Or what do you see in that the, the, the athletes are having to deal with now that maybe they weren't dealing with in, in previous generations? Um, well, so it's, it's sort of what, what do they say? You know, the, the, the knife cuts both ways. Yeah. Um, on one hand, they've been able to enjoy the benefits of something like of social media yeah. and being in the public eye times a thousand. You know, if you talk about uh, Joe DiMaggio, well, everyone knew about Joe, but they knew about Joe because either the 12 or 14,000 fans that would show up at Yankee Stadium to watch him because back in those days, attendance was much lower uh-huh. and they'd, they'd go and watch and they'd see him play. But then you'd have the beat writers that would write stories about, oh, Joe was out last night with Marilyn Monroe. He was out with whatever it is. But you just didn't you didn't see much about it. Yeah. Now every second is is magnified times a thousand. Everyone's got their phones out recording every moment, so they're under intense scrutiny. But on the flip side, there was certainly almost no branding going on back there with the athletes. I mean, you had Joe D with his Mister Coffee, I guess it was back in the maybe <laughs> '60s or something. But other than that, yeah. I mean, these guys they had to have second jobs and third jobs to support themselves on the field. Now, uh, I mean, look. Uh, most athletes now are getting much more involved in inside interests, you know, and the biggies like LeBron's and so forth are creating these massive empires yeah. that they're leveraging their, their being a professional athlete into yeah. something else. And yeah. that's, that's something that is available. So even though on one hand, they can't get away with anything almost anymore necessarily because of being on in, in the public eye all the time, but on the flip right. side, they can create incredible wealth if they want to, uh, by, by, uh, you know, branding and marketing that they didn't have a chance to do back then. Yeah. Just curious. Let's, let's go a little bit more into this too, because you're right. Just the yeah. branding of themselves. They, they're becoming a brand unlike they've ever done in the past. And Michael Jordan really kind of paved that way. I'm yeah. curious to know too, is like, do you feel like the amount of money, just the overwhelming amount of money, do you feel like that is a, a any type of a pressure that athletes are feeling now? And if it's changing just even a, the athlete's mindset? Um, are you referencing the, the the ones that are getting paid the massive amounts? Do they feel pressure that they shouldn't be making that kind of money? Or what well, do you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're almost like you've got that hierarchy. I know, like in baseball, you know, you have the haves and the have-nots, yeah. so to speak. I mean, because yeah. you right. know, minimum wage uh, in in Major League Baseball is uh, I want to say right in the four hundreds right now. Yeah. yeah, and that is a crap load of money to the average American, right? But when it comes to yeah. baseball yeah. terms, people are making millions per paycheck. And so there's this yes. disproportional share of uh, very few making that amount. And then, of course, the other ones that are, so to speak, you know, quote unquote, just surviving off of a half a million dollars. Which is which is amazing to most Americans, right. too, right? Right. Uh, um, so with that said, um, I think that there's there's some some athletes and some some of them that, that make significant money that try to almost hide and they're almost embarrassed by it. But it's, yeah. but look, at the end of the day, they're bringing not just fannies into the seats at the live events, but they're the big TV contracts and they're making their owners very wealthy. So, yeah. you know, I do, 
you know, I could say out of both sides of my mouth, on one hand, they deserve it because they are directly responsible for that incredible generation of revenue. On the flip side, they're playing a freaking game. So how insane is it that we're paying an athlete $10 million, $30 million when our teachers are making $35,000 right. and that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's, there's two ways to look at it. Um, as a capitalist, I'll say they deserve it because they are they are directly responsible for that income generation. Yeah. On the flip side, as a whateverist, not as something elseist, um, you know, I mean, I think other people deserve, you know, I mean, crap. Even the president of the United States is what's he at four hundred grand or three hundred grand or something? And it's it's that's crazy. Yeah, that's two, crazy. To me. I think it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Actually, is what they <laughs> it's what, crazy. what they technically are. are uh, uh, Making I mean, they're not, your, they're not exactly struggling or, you know, uh, right. after they leave the presidency, but still no it's, doubt. uh, that's crazy. But, but I think that, uh, but with that said also, if, if an athlete can figure out a smart way where they are, uh, projecting out there, they're contributing back in some sort of way, whether it's charitable philanthropy, whatever it might be, or if it's just, um, maybe being more accessible to the fans or just being a generally a good guy and a good woman and so forth, then, then, that's probably about the best they can do. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I remember um, in that transition from professional sports into what we consider the real world, right, is just honestly getting outside that bubble. Because when you're in that bubble, you're not dealing with the normal life problems, the normal life issues. Uh, You know, when you're in that bubble, you're dealing with, well, am I going to get picked up by the team? Am I going to get traded? You know, am I bringing my family down for spring uh, spring training? Those are the things that you're kind of dealing with on a regular basis. I'm curious when you're when you're coaching these athletes now in that transition, uh, what are you finding them that is the best help for them to say, okay, that was not the real world. That was a bubble. That was you. You're in adult Disneyland, and here are the challenges that you're going to be facing now. I'm just curious to know, like the conversation that you'd have with an athlete. That's great, adult Disneyland. I love that. So, um, you know, what's interesting is that um, almost every athlete who's retiring, honestly, they are scared and they're intimidated because they. I always tell people, look, you put an athlete in a conference room full of executives and they're scared and they don't want to talk to anybody because they don't, they, they can't imagine that they have a lot to contribute in a conversation, which is insane, but it's true. And then on the flip side, you put an executive in a locker room and that same thing happens. The executive will just kind of stand and watch. They're afraid. They're like, what what do I have to, what can I possibly say to a, a locker room full of, you know, football players, whatever. So, what I try to say is, look, everybody's got, everyone's got the same flesh, blood, water, everything else. Mm-hmm. And there's that little 1% or 2% that separates us from being executives and athletes and that sort of thing. But, but what's interesting is that once you give a retired athlete that mojo and that sort of confidence back that they can be elite again in something else, and it's usually just a few words, just a few minutes of conversation that can change all that because they do have a tendency to think, well, look, I played for 10 years. I'm 10 years behind everybody else yeah. now. Yeah. And I say, look, no, because you've experienced 10 years, but it's been a different experience, but you can leverage that experience in so many ways into something else. I think that's so good. Uh, you know, as we start to wrap this up, I'm, I'm curious to know, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of parents that listen to this podcast, and they've got athletes, you know, from the ages of six to eighteen years old, right? Uh, what advice would you give to parents as they're watching their children grow into chasing their dreams and chasing their their passion? Uh, how would you help parents deal with athletes as they continue to pursue that dream? Well, Josh, you mentioned earlier uh, before we we started recording here that um, you know the values that you saw and that your family saw in terms of having, um, you know, kids not playing a sport year round, but really getting involved in different sports. And I'm a big time proponent of, you know, if your son or daughter is really fired up about a particular sport, that's fantastic, but mix it up a little bit as they grow up. I think I see too, and I know you see it too, the growing trend and big time trend of year round training in one sport for kids that are 11, 10, six, whatever. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Get your, get your son or daughter to kick a soccer ball, shoot a basketball, shoot a hockey puck, et cetera. That's something that I, I can't tell you. I mean, that looking back on my childhood, every you know, depending on the season, I was either out with a hockey stick, a basketball, baseball, mm-hmm. a soccer ball, whatever it is. And that's what I think allowed me to become a better, even a better athlete as I went into college. And I think that um, I feel that that's something that's missing that we really need to focus a little bit more on. And also let the kids enjoy the sport. Let them enjoy it. Don't don't be that parent. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I've coached Little League a lot. And there are those parents out there and just, and you know, you all know who we're talking to. Yeah. Don't be that person. Yeah. I tell you what, you know, the boys are playing travel baseball right now and we just see it constantly more and more. Just that competitiveness at such a young age. Now, listen, I love competing and I love when the the boys get to compete, but there is definitely a line that is being crossed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, 13 years old, we got kids that are throwing curveballs. It's win at all costs. It's not even, you know, not counting the pitches. They're throwing them out there day in and day out. And they're just literally just ruining kids uh, before they even have an opportunity to, to, to start their dream. So uh, I'm 100% behind what you're saying there. Absolutely love it. I think a lot of that, though, has to, you know, also falls a little bit on the coaching. Yeah. And, um, you know, I if there was a way, I, you know, I'm not – I don't know this enough to say one way or the other, but if there was a way to get more universal training of coaches somehow yeah. in the sports to not – look past pitch limits and not look past, I mean, just don't, just be a, just be a good coach, you know, like right. be a good guy and a good woman and stuff. And, and don't be the, the, I don't know. I, I, there's, I guess it's, uh, you know, it's something where maybe it's just age and I've gotten older and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think too many parents live vicariously through their kids and that's, that's crazy. That's just whatever. I couldn't anyway. agree with you more, brother. But I will tell you, when the boys yeah. first started, I was probably yeah. a little bit more intense than I am right now as the fact yeah. that they're now they're 13. Well, because they, you know what it is, is that we, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, we'll see a bad play or a bad call <laughs> yeah. by the umpire. We're like, umpire with that. But the kids, are, they don't care as much. They're yeah. just having fun, man. And so yeah. I can't tell you, when I, was, when I was coaching and I'd see a kid out there just looking up at the sky going by and I'm like right he's eight yeah he's, he's more interested in the plane going by you know yeah so anyways but uh but I think in terms of what what I'd also tell parents is that uh also though um it's okay to have your kids start to make just some casual connections with people that can be really instrumental as time goes on mm-hmm. and whether it's um other kids who have parents who do certain things, whatever it is, but it's okay to start quote networking, even though I hate that word, but that sort of thing 
even at an early age in high school, absolutely, and certainly going into college. Yeah, I think one of the things, once again, as I uh, as I uh, was reading your book, I love that we were you were talking so much about the connecting part of it, right? We're obviously so much of us our our time is spent on getting to that goal that we just miss the day to day. We, we miss the importance yeah. of the moments and you do a fantastic job. And I really feel like for any parent that's out there, if you're, if your athlete is going through this time of transition in their life where they're pursuing this dream, uh, this book is awesome. And then of course, as an athlete yourself, if you're graduating from high school, you're getting into that collegiate sport, or maybe you have that opportunity to get into the professional realm of it. This book is an amazing book to help you journey through it. I mean, it's like rich dad, poor dad, you should be reading that at any point in time in your life, the sooner you do, the more equipped you are. And I really believe that your book, Win Again, is one of those books that can be a staple in every young athlete's uh, journey as they pursue this wonderful game, whatever that is that they're pursuing, because life is going to eventually happen after and outside of the game. And what a great way to be tooled for it. So, brother, I appreciate I you. I mean, yeah. Before you end, I happen to have with me yeah. the best <laughs> compliment to Win Again, yes. Strike Three. This is a fantastic book, and this will absolutely i mean look it, it at my tender age of whatever i am um fantastic front to back about um really have your head in the right place and it's uh um i won't go into i mean the one percent of my favorite things lots of other people like that too but there's so many elements in here that are fantastic so i encourage all parents to parents read this book strike three by josh kalinowski you should get it um and uh, but also uh, your what you're doing. I mean, I love everything you're doing, Josh. Yeah. And that's why uh, you know, we're pals and all that sort of thing. But one thing I'm going to just sort of announce on here. I, I just had a conversation earlier today with somebody uh, who she specializes in in working with student athletes. And we're going to in the next few weeks program for student athletes to really get a head start on on what's going to be happening after they stop playing their sport in college mm. and, uh, and schoolers too. But I find that uh, unfortunately the uh, resources that uh, sometimes the student athletes uh, get uh, access to are pretty limited in them for life after the game. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's something where we want to teach them just everything about how to be on LinkedIn, how to network, how to speak to people that are 10, 20 years, 30 years older than them when a lot of times they're, they're, intimidated by that, how to get past that. There's so many things that, uh, you know, young adults can learn that can really put them way ahead of their competition at an early age. That is awesome. Well, I can't wait for you to uh, share more of that stuff because I know yeah, we're going to definitely sure. be blasting that out there. Hey, Mark, a lot of oh. people are going to want to know how they connect with you. What's the best resource for them to be able to find you, your book, uh, win the game or win again, Academy and the club room. You're so good at this. You really are. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, what's funny is that I don't know if anybody knows that I host my own podcast. I haven't done a podcast in a while. I host these other events and I, it's, it's so to be out of this. Anyways, um, www.winagainacademy.com. I've also got a lot of my own uh, coaching stuff at markmoyer.com and I'm all over social media at, at Winnegan Academy and, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Look me up. Would love to talk to anybody. And, uh, Oh, and then, oh, I have a YouTube channel, Winning an Academy, I think it is, uh, where I've got all the prior recordings of everything we've done, the podcast, the webinars, the everything, clubs are all there. And come check out the club room. 
Yeah, the club room is awesome. Yeah. Absolutely highly yeah. recommend you get to the Win Again Academy and then you can get access into the club room from there. And I tell you what, I have just absolutely loved. I've been I I have loved listening to the athletes and also just interacting with them and and really uh making a connection with people that are throughout the entire country uh, and then not even necessarily even in the sport that I loved, uh but I was able to find the find the passion that they had in in their sport. So really just an amazing platform for everybody out there. All right, brother man, I really appreciate you. Thanks so much for bringing some value to our people today and uh uh, just it it was an awesome experience to have you on the show brother Um, my pleasure josh keep crushing it you're doing a fantastic job yourself yeah really are thanks and you guys i'm not even paying him for this by the way so but maybe i'll have to pay him after this Uh, so strength free available on (laughs) (laughs) amazon.com all right all right guys well listen as always there is the price of admission for this is if you know anybody that you think would find value in this we ask you to share that with them uh mark brought some great nuggets today and i know that it's going to resonate with you uh maybe it's going to resonate with the young athlete that you're raising or somebody that you know so ask you to share with them appreciate you and we will definitely be seeing you on the very next episode